Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co host here, Rob Gary. Welcome, buddy. Thanks for being here. Yeah, it's good. I'm glad good. you're here. Rob Gary is an investment advisor, wealth advisor, and filling in for Dave Popovich while he's away. A lot of uh, a lot of good things happening uh, in Rob's world. One of them is that he doesn't have to work with Dave Popovich as much. <laughs> uh, the second part of it is that you've had some different insight on what's been happening this week in the markets, and I'm I'm really interested to get your your take on things too. It's been uh, it's been another wild week. Right, it's been a wild week. A lot of things have changing. We're digesting a lot of uh, economic numbers coming in. We're digesting how the market is reacting to those numbers. We're talking about yield curve, inflation, financial conditions tightening still. I know you were covering CTV and media this week. Yeah. A couple of highlights. Yeah, for sure. Let's let's talk about the the game of tug of war when we were kids. Mm -hmm. Do you remember you had, you had you had a group on one side and a group on the other side, and they're pulling back and forth to see which side wins? Well, that's pretty much what happened this week in the markets. You got a tug of war happening, and I call this the tail risk tug of war. On one side of the risk spectrum, you've got a, a concern about rising interest rates at a fast rate. And so when Jeremy Powell on Wednesday said, you know, that whole 75 basis points or three quarters of a percent increase, most likely not going to be on the table for that pull for the tug of war side of the, of the group saying, hey, we're worried about rising interest rates coming at a fast rate. On the other side, you get you have a group wondering about the the in, the inflation issue and that R word recession. Mm -hmm. And so they're pulling on on Thursday and you saw literally thousand point swings uh, positive, negative on the Dow Jones. You saw markets move everywhere. Technology uh, being hammered. Consumer spending stocks in the United States. We're talking Lululemon. You're talking Expedia, Marriott, all these different types of spending companies just being hammered uh, because of fear. And it's it's that tug of war on the on the on the tail risk side. Which when we say tail risk. The, the, the risk that we can't always calculate that's going to happen, but if it does, it's, it magnifies the mm -hmm. losses or the gains, and, and that's where that, that, that fight's happening. And getting magnified, too, because a lot of these economic numbers that are coming in are delayed from previous, yep. right? We have federal banks trying to make the best decisions moving forward. Yep. Is not helping. Not helping. So let's. There's the economic side. So the, the central bankers are not really helping the to calm or give clarity. Um, and, and the stock market, at least this week, with 80% of the largest 500 companies in 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 the world, um, well, in the U.S. Sorry, um, already given their earnings. The earnings on the top line, which is revenue. The earnings on on the bottom line, which is net earnings, were both positive and better than previous year. Mm -hmm. The concern is that not all companies had a clarity on what's happening in the next six to 12 months. Well, that's hard to do when your central banker doesn't give you clarity of what's gonna happen right. in the next six to 12 months. So it's the chicken and egg conversation, which comes first, and you start seeing this battle. And so companies are just being sold, and I think um, without the right cause. Mm -hmm. what's, what makes a company worth 20% less if their earnings and revenue and sales are up. 
just an, an idea that the economy is not going right. to be able to be in the condition for that continue, to continue to grow? Possibly. Possibly. And this is where the Warren Buffett conversation of last weekend, where he comes out and says, you, bring, you build on good companies with good management that are able to build on the price, even in inflationary times. Those are the companies you want to own, which is a very interesting move. Surprise, we're going back to old school buying of stocks now versus this new, the, old, the new school, which was buy anything that grows. And now it's changing. So it's a very interesting market. And there's another word, the R word. There's another word getting added right now that is starting to concern people, which is the term stagflation. Yes. Right, we want to maybe highlight that. Yeah, so this is interesting when we use the word stagflation and there's more data going on the side of that happening. And so the, the concerns of stagflation, let's go back into, into history where we had higher inflation numbers, higher interest, but no real growth, um, hence stagflation. And so that there are more signs of evidence of that happening. You know, we have a dashboard that we look at seven different mm -hmm. indicators economically. These are the, the core numbers we look at. We've got some um, out-of-the-box numbers that we look at that to see how the economy is growing. But when you look at the core numbers, we're seeing that there's, out of the seven, three out of seven are showing us either uh, a red light or a yellow light, which means problem or cautionary. Um, four of them showing green. So we're slowing the economy. It doesn't say it's stagflation yet. And so yeah. only time will tell if that actually happens. But what's, what's concerning me is that the overreaction of the market, um, and that usually happens when liquidity gets squeezed out. Right. As, as the central bankers start to take liquidity out, you're going to have less money um, to move around, which means higher gyrations. And that's going to that's gonna scare a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Inflation. Do we see this continuing? Yeah. I look at this as, a, as I think we're peaking if we haven't peaked already. Right. And, and the reason why I look at this, Rob, is because when I look at some of the companies, you look at Clorox. And the company of Clorox, their ingredients to make their, their products, they're not seeing inflation go up anymore. When you look at companies like Procter & Gamble or Colgate, right? Um, they're not, they're not seeing their cost of goods going up anymore. So it's slowly trickling through. So I think we've peaked or peaking and a lot of the consumer, this, uh, consumer staples types of products, not as big of an impact. Loblaws came out and said, we don't see an issue with inflation right now when it comes to people buying our products. So it, it's, it's, it sounds like it's, we're peaking. I was gonna be interested to see how long it takes to subside and that might be six, 12 months, but I, th I don't think we're going to have six, eight percent inflation rate numbers for the logistical side of the supply chain. Is that's the yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. So there's some parts of it's going to stay um, in line for a while, meaning the inflation. Talk about rent being higher. Talk about wage growth or in, uh, mm -hmm. the cost of labor being higher. That's going to stick around. But other parts, um, you know, supply chain or some of the other commodities, yep. that may not be as uh, long-term as we may think of it. And that's the transitory part that I think is going to subside. So we'll get, we'll have a higher inflation number than in history, meaning higher than one, usually in the 2 to 3% range, which is where the Bank of Canada and right. the Federal Reserve have been. But speaking of supply chain, ever thought about buying a car in this market? Whew. It's crazy. I keep mine for longer. <laughs> you right? might have to. <laughs> You might have no choice, and that's what we're going to bring out. 
you know, summer car buying season's up, a supply chain issue. How will how will it impact us Canadians? We've got an expert coming on the show, a Calgarian who's mm -hmm. in North Carolina State University, a professor talking to us about those concerns. Uh, everybody wants to talk about supply chain and buying a vehicle and what are the concerns. Well, he's going to address that. And also, Calgary, real estate market, on fire. Mm -hmm. Is it crazy? Is it going to stay that way? You know, this is a very interesting time when markets are, when your, your house price goes up, you feel better. But then if you want to move, do you sell now? What do you buy with inventory the way it is? And so there's going to be a lot of things to think about in the real estate market. We've got our, our expert here, the, the chief economist for the Calgary Real Estate Board, joining us on breaking sales numbers in Alberta and what we can expect in the future. This is going to be a great show. And then also market timing. Mm. Market timing on the markets, especially with all this gyration, there there are many ways you can invest. Market timing is one of them. How does it work? What are the best strategies for market timing? We're gonna we're gonna chime in on our our, our research and expertise on on that section too. And not just stocks, all asset classes. All asset right? classes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Have you gone by a car lot or a, a dealer? I I've almost driven by them because there was no cars. <laughs> <laughs> There's more cars in the parking lot in downtown Calgary during the pandemic <laughs> than Absolutely. there is cars on a, on a dealership lot right now. <laughs> it is interesting. I had, I had a client talk to me about how the Tesla, there was so many vehicles in Vancouver, um, but when the other dealers, nothing. So there's a whole supply chain issue, and mm. people are wanting to buy cars. It's uh, they're they're getting into the rhythm. They get to go travel now, maybe drive around the country. And uh, uh oh, I want to buy a new car, but it's not there. Or you have to wait like isn't it like 18 years before the next one comes out? <laughs> <laughs> and so, what to look for? Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So oh, let's yeah. let's talk about this. And we got our our professor of supply chain management, Rob Hanfield, is here. He's with uh, North Carolina State University. Rob, welcome to the show. No, a pleasure to be here, and um, I'm, I'm originally uh, a Calgary boy, believe it or not, so born and raised, so uh, pleasure to be here. Are you really? Yeah, yeah, grew up in Mount Royal and went to Bishop Carroll. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> there you go. So you can, you can, attend, you can understand the, the, the frustration as we get into the summer season, people wanting to get to the mountains or go beyond that in, their, in a brand new vehicle, but there's nothing on the lots. So let's talk about... Uh, what are you seeing with, first of all, supply chain? Then we can talk about vehicles in Canada. Tell us about the situation that you're seeing when it, when it comes to supply chain. Well, you know, un unfortunately, the, the supply chains are really screwed up right now. And it's not just, it's a technical term, uh, and it's not just uh, automotive, uh, the automotive industry. It's, uh, you know, it's lumber, it's steel, uh, you know, it's, it's food, you know, wheat shortages we're looking at. Uh, but the big one, of course, that everyone's talking about is semiconductors. And, um, you know, the semiconductors are used increasingly in just about everything. They're used in electronics, they're used in computers, and of course they're used in cars. And, uh, you know, all of our, uh, you know, our, our dashboards now are, are digital, uh, you know, our, our uh, cruise control, our, our uh, pedometers, every, everything is, is, is electronic and controlled by semiconductors. And if they don't have those available, which they don't, uh, then obviously the assemblers cannot produce cars and you have shortages on the lot, which is what you're, you're experiencing today. There, let's talk about the semiconductor as an example because it's a good point that you've raised. 
The problem that I'm seeing, first of all, is that there was a, a higher demand for semiconductors. If my math is correct from the last few reports I've read, about 20 to 30 percent of all vehicles now are either electric vehicles or, or premium vehicles, which means that there's going to be a lot more um, demand for, for chip uh, and uh, semiconductors in there. And then on top of that, uh, because of, of what's happened in the pandemic, to actually start up a brand new um, semiconductor plant, it can take four to five years is my understanding of that. So it's not like you can just grow it and, and then, you know, let it, let it be uh, shipped out like it was wheat, mm -hmm. you know. This is, this is a semiconductor issue that, that could take possibly four or five years before we can see some equilibrium in the market. Is that, is that fairly accurate? That's, that's exactly right. And, and there's a number of reasons for that. And if we go back in history again to the beginning of COVID, you know, what happened during that time frame is everyone was scared that demand would, would go off a cliff. And so a lot of the automotive companies canceled all of their orders with the large semiconductor companies. And by the way, the, the big ones, 50% of all semiconductors are made in Taiwan through Taiwan Semiconductor and another 25% made by Samsung. So it's almost all in, in Korea and in, in Taiwan. And uh, then when demand took off, remember, everyone started buying cars all of a sudden because they were bored sitting around at home. And uh, then they went, oh, wait, wait, we made a mistake. We actually do need those semiconductors. In fact, we need more than what we ordered previously. And they're like, well, get to the back of the line, guys. You know, Lenovo, uh, Apple, everybody else is uh, at the front of the line. And so they were, they were pushed out. Their demand was pushed out. But, but there was a bigger problem as well, which is the semiconductor industry in general. Um, you know, those guys got, got kind of scared in the past because they built too much and then they had all these excess capacity and these plants laying around. So they became very skittish about capital investment and they, and they would invest in, in factories that was just barely enough to meet demand. And uh, so now, you know, demand has taken off and they're way behind and they're saying, hey, it's going to take us, like you said, two, three, four years to build these, these fab plants. And, and it's not just the plants, but it's all the entire supply chain, all the suppliers that go with it. Uh, so it's, it's a very complex technology. It's kind of like a voodoo technology. It's, it's, it's not part art, part science. And, uh, and so it takes a long time to get it right. Rob, you know, as Canadians and Calgarians, you know, we've been stuck in traffic the last couple of days here dramatically. So we're a driving city and a driving country in, in, uh, in the rural areas. How do you see this playing out for Canadians specifically? Is this a bigger issue in Canada? Well, well, it is. And, um, you know, Canadians, as you know, love their cars. And uh, it's a big country, so we got to do a lot of driving. And uh, it, it is a problem. And the other impact, of course, is the price of gas. I think we're all being hit by the price of gas as well. Um, but I, I think, you know, if, you're, if you have a car right now and it's on its last legs, you might want to look at the used market. And, and the used market is crazy right now too because you, know, you can get, a, you can get a, a used car almost now for the same price as, as, a, uh, as a new car, believe it or not. It, the, the, the economics have, have kind of gone upside down. And so I think for Canadians, we, we've got to be thinking about, well, how long can I keep my current vehicle? And, and even if I want to fix it, the parts plan ahead. The parts could take several months to get here as well. 
So, so just taking that a little bit further, is there a difference in a car buyer from the United States versus Canada? And the reason why I ask that question is because we hear a lot uh, throughout the last few years of Canadians buying vehicles in the States um, and Canadians selling vehicles to Americans. Is that going to be a more of a demand out there because now the, the, the supply chain or the process is vehicles get first to the Americans than before they come to Canada uh, in volume. And so try to try to get your hands on it in the States versus Canada. Yeah, I, I, I'm not aware of, um, you know, any surplus of vehicles in the U.S. that could be going up to Canada. We're just as short of them uh, down here as well. Um, you know, there's there's a few vehicles on the lot, but you know, generally speaking, you know, you have to go in and put down money for a car that isn't there that is going to hopefully show up in six months. And, and we're in the same boat. Um, you know, I, I think the other thing we're seeing is everyone's, you talked about electric vehicles. Uh, everyone's talking about, uh, you know, buying electric vehicles. It's not clear to me that we're going to be able to easily transition to electric vehicles either. Um, the reason is the entire supply chain is designed around the internal combustion engine right? and you don't just switch everybody over to uh you know to start building electric vehicles overnight so there's there's some confusion there and the the other piece of it of course is uh you know we're, we're still struggling with a lot of the metals that go into those electric vehicles nickel cobalt uh zinc you know those are in short supply and they're in places like you know chile and the congo and these weird places so it's, it's going to be a struggle to get all of those minerals out that we need to produce these electric vehicles as well. So it sounds like it's going to be a while before things start to normalize. Uh, Rob, I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, some good insight on what's happening in the supply chain. My pleasure. Ho hopefully, uh, hopefully you guys will get some uh, continue with this nice weather down there. So I talked to my mom. She's loving it. <laughs> Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> We've been joined with Rod Hanfield, Professor of Supply Chain Management at North Carolina State University. A little bit of a problem we have in this city, Rob. It uh, is? Uh, yeah, it is a little bit of a problem. Um, have you seen how housing has been just going gangbusters? It's, I see them on my street and you see them off the same day. It's phenomenal. I have, it's been a long time since I've heard people from Ontario and British Columbia are actually buying property in Calgary. In Calgary. Mm -hmm. It's nice to hear. It is. We're wanted. We're wanted. It's nice <laughs> to be wanted. But it's also a big concern. What if you want to buy? What if you want to sell? Is it, is it the right time? Will this trend continue? Let's talk to our, uh, our, our specialist, our expert on this, Chief Economist with the Calgary Real Estate Board, Anne-Marie Lurie. Anne-Marie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's kick right off in regards to the housing market. What have we seen in the last month or so? What's going on and, and what are your thoughts about, uh, about where we're headed for in the near term? Let's call it for the spring and summer session. So I think first thing we have to kind of put some perspective on is the sales activity. We have had exceptional sales um, through the start of this year. Um, we hit an all-time record high in March. Um, April's numbers were a little bit slower on sales, um, but still a record high for April. So demand has been exceptionally strong in the market. And at the same time, what we're seeing is that the supply just isn't keeping pace, right? So the listings that are coming on just haven't been enough. And we've been in very strong seller market conditions throughout the entire first quarter of this year and into spring. So 
What that's done is that has really caused some pretty significant price gains in the market. Um, so we have seen quarterly gains um, or, or monthly gains that have been, you know, things that we haven't really seen since kind of before the financial crisis. So exceptionally strong price growth um, in the market, and it's because there just hasn't been enough supply. Now, as we move forward, we do know there's higher lending rates that are coming on the market. This is going to start to impact demand, but it's going to take some time before our market moves into what's kind of classified as more of the balanced conditions, because we need to still play catch up with all of the um, lack of supply in the market at the moment. So do you, do you see demand dropping because of interest rate changes and so forth? So that means the supply side is not as big of an issue, or is this 100% a supply issue? Um, well, no, I mean, part of the reason why we're not seeing a lot of the, the supply there is because the demand has been, you know, exceptionally strong. So that's this record levels of demand that we're seeing. Um, so it has been somewhat caused by demand. Now, even though we do expect that the demand will cool off from record levels, we do still expect uh, demand to stay relatively strong because we got to think back. Our economy is better than what it was doing kind of before the pandemic. We're seeing, you know, job growth. We're seeing people coming back to this province. I mean, we've had interprovincial migration. That's something that we haven't seen for some time. So those factors are going to still support a relatively strong housing market, um, although we just don't expect it to kind of keep pace with these record levels. So I think that's some of the important um, nuances to understand that while demand is expected to slow a bit, this is not going back to what we kind of saw before COVID. Mm. Emory, I, I, driving around this city, I think we all start to wonder, who's buying these houses? Is it, is it local demand, or is it people coming from all these other very inflated parts of the country, Toronto, Vancouver, that are starting to buy into Calgary? Um, there's a combination of both. Now, unfortunately, we don't really have good data on this, so a lot of it is anecdotal. We do hear um, from our membership that there is still a lot of people buying that are local, that, you know, are those, some of those are first-time buyers. Some of those are taking advantage of the price gains and moving up in the market where they couldn't before. Um, and we also hear that there is people who are coming from other parts of the country um, that are seeing the advantage to the Calgary market. I mean, when you look at the average detached home here, um, you know, prices, even though they've gone up um, as of late, they're still around 600000 for your typical home. Well, you can't get that in Toronto, not for a detached home. So I think that's an important um, distinction and an advantage to Calgary is that we are far more affordable. I mean, even our condo prices, I mean, it's important to note, condos haven't recovered yet from where they were in 2014 highs, right? So, you know, for somebody who's coming from out, out of our city or looking at our condo prices going, well, your typical condo is under 300,000, that is, is far more affordable than anything you can get in a lot of those markets. And Marie, I, I have a hard time seeing the future of the real estate market in Calgary. And here's my simple thoughts, and I'd like you to educate me on this one. Um, the demand going forward would have to come from a multiple of areas. One, more people in Calgary making more money so they can afford a bigger home or more price. The, number two, a higher demand of people coming into the province, into the city, which means more people chasing after less supply. Or number three, affordability, meaning interest rates going down. 
those three indicators say to me, mm, it doesn't look like it's going to continue to be like this. Are we in a are we in the Goldilocks period right now that it's it's really good and then all of a sudden it's going to be cold again, or do you see something or educate me on maybe some of the other factors that I'm missing out on? Okay, so so first let's think about the supply factor. Now us, unlike other markets, we can add supply, but it does take time. Um, you know, this is where the new home market comes in. We do see that building happens. We don't have necessarily the same land restrictions that other markets face. So so our market tends to, you know, that's why we tend to go through these, these cycles in our market more so than other places. Um, because as the demand improves, we do see that reaction on the new home side and we see that supply come on. Now it takes time. So, so that's when we talk, think about that lag and what could happen. Um, I do think that that will help push us into a much more balanced level in terms of supply. I don't think we'll continue to face the supply restrictions that we're seeing today. Um, so, and that will eventually help to impact the market and bring it into more balanced conditions. Now on the demand side, um, you know, there we have gone through um, a significant adjustment. I mean, we've seen job losses, you know, caused by the, the first pullback in the energy sector. Now, when we're looking at demand, I'm going, well, we're in a far better place today than we were. There is better job growth in Calgary. We're seeing more diversified employment growth. Um, I'm seeing gains in professional and technical services. Those tend to be higher paid industries. So when I'm seeing growth in those sectors, um, does it speak to a boom? Not necessarily, but it does tell me that it looks at a, a market that is much more stable and better than what we've been doing. I, I think, again, some of the perspective is, if we think back to that period of 2015 to basically 2019, we were underperforming in real estate. We've had had really throughout that time frame some of the slowest sales based off our population that we've ever seen. Um, so I think that's an important distinction. So while we are facing higher rates, um, that is somewhat going to be offset by the fact that employment is looking better and, and better quality jobs are being created. Um, another offset to that as well is migration. We are, again, seeing that migration pattern improve again, something we haven't seen for some time. And, and those things can help offset it. Now, I don't expect conditions to stay like this. It is not normal to have an year-over-year -year price gain of 18%. That is not sustainable. Um, and we do, I do believe that the new home market does respond and we should start to see those levels start to kind of return to more normal growth patterns, which is what we would expect. So I, I don't expect to stay in this level that we're seeing today. Really quickly, what would you say is the normal growth rate that we should be achieving over the long term in Calgary? Is it 2% growth, 4% growth? What, what would you say is normal? Um, I would say there really is a range. Typically, we, we expect to see like a year-over-year -year growth in around that 3-4% range, um, you know, assuming everything else is growing at a normal pace. Um, that's what we would traditionally see in our market. Um, so, you know, really, long-term trends tell you you should stay similar to the rate of inflation is really what housing is supposed to be doing. Um, now, that being said, inflation is a little higher, so, so those things can adjust a bit. But on the whole, that's what we would generally expect in the market. Do you have any more questions you think we should we should ask this, uh, this expert of ours? She's been doing great so far. <laughs> I would say with, uh, we got a bit of a minute left here. Any, any tips for someone looking to buy or sell right now? Any one major tip to look at? 
I think it's really important to consider where you're looking. Um, there is pockets in the market that have behaved a little differently. Um, obviously, if you're looking for some of that detached property in the lower price ranges, there really isn't much supply there. It's going to be a very competitive market if you're trying to buy in that sector. If you're looking for a higher priced home, you still have more supply choice than you would in the lower ranges. So I think for anyone who's transacting in this market, it's really important to understand what you qualify for um, as well as what you're looking for and setting those expectations um, just given the fact that there isn't there's a lot of competition out there mm -hmm. set the expectations great advice great information from the chief economist of the calgary real estate board and marie lurie and marie thank you for joining us today thank you market timing you know there's been Many, many different programs out there, books, newsletters about how you can, you know, use a system to time to get in and get out of the market. Um, this is a very interesting market that we're in when we start seeing thousand point swings on the Dow Jones, mm -hmm. positive, negative. When's the right time to market time? You know, like when, how do you actually do it? Um, very challenging. What are your thoughts, Rob, when it comes to market timing? Well, uh, from what I've seen and, and hearing right now, there's two sides to this story. There is, I am down right now. Mm -hmm. And then there is, I have a bunch of cash. So let's highlight the two Perfect. differences. Perfect. Uh, I think we both listened to a, a call this morning, mm -hmm. come in, individual, stating I had 1.7 last week, Faisal. I'm now at 1.5. What should I do? I'm panicking. What should I do? Should I do something different? Should I should get I out? Get out. Yes. Should I time on the way out? And then, then what's the time on the way in? After? Time on the way in. Yeah. So this is a that's a different conversation. Yep. Yeah. Let's try and let's start to think about that and and break that down. Sure. Different asset classes, right? Within. So a lot of these people have say a balanced portfolio. Mm-hmm. Which and basically means like 60% stocks, 40% bonds. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's a balanced portfolio in general terms. Let's talk about the downside to the safe or low risk part of your portfolio mm. that can be down close to the equity markets right now. Yeah. So you brought up a few points there. Let's, let's, let's hammer them one at a time here. Let's talk about the, the market timing side of the markets are down. Should I get out? Mm -hmm. Okay. The, the question is, what's causing you to sell? What's causing you to buy? And what's the overall objective of the money? Right. Okay. Um, I did an interview on TV this week. They, they asked me the same question. What, what, what should we be worried about when it comes to these markets? It's when do you need the capital? Mm -hmm. If your capital need is needed in less than three years, be very careful about investing in the stock market. Mm -hmm. If you need capital greater than three years from now, you have some exposure, but you have to be disciplined in how you select your investments. Mm -hmm. So there's a timing part on that when it comes to how much capital should I be putting in the market, stock market specifically, is what, how much money do you need today and over the next three years? That's the time of the market I'm talking about. When people try to get in and get out, the sell strategy and the buy strategy, you have to be on point. Crystal ball. Uh, yeah, I have yet to meet someone who has a high percentage of being right. Mm -hmm. And when I say high percentage, if you look at our stock picks, you know, 68% of the time we're right, 
32% of the time we're not right, mm -hmm. but we make more money over time by being right two-thirds of the time. Right. Okay. I have yet to meet someone who has a strategy of being right more than 75%, which is Warren Buffett's. Mm -hmm. So if you can't beat, you know, 68 to 75% of the time, why do it? There's, you don't have an advantage. And he may look for opportunities to invest further during downtimes like this, not go to cash. Yes, and, and his time frame is longer. He's a 90-year-old individual who can look at a stock and say, we're going to hold this for the next 25 years. Mm -hmm. Now, you and I wouldn't do that. Most of the people listening and watching the show wouldn't do that. They're, they're going to say, I need this money for something in the future. Might be one year, 10 years, 20 years, doesn't matter, but I have a time frame for this money that I'm gonna be spending it. That's not Warren Buffett. Okay. So why market time? And so what, what happens is they sit down with an individual and say, okay, I'm low risk. So I wanna go into, a, into something low risk and they, that, that advisor, that, that, uh, that algorithm, that online portal tells you buy a bond portfolio, it's low risk. Well, bond portfolios are down 12, 13% right mm -hmm. now. It's wild. Like the Universal Canadian Bond Index is down over 12% year to date right now. Your low risk investment. Yes. So what the heck is going on there? That, that surprises people. You know, I, the bond market has not been our friend this year. No. Nor was it last year. But there's a, there's a place for it. What's the place for it is determined on what's the objective of the money. Right. And so before, low risk meant low volatility. Now that's not what we agree upon. What we agree upon, uh, what, 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 do you, what would you say is, uh, is the definition of low risk for so our clients? When we look at low risk, the only thing that's considered low risk in, in mind and in the firm and, and their team side is GICs, guaranteed, investment certificates, mm -hmm. or money market. Or That's cash. it. Yeah, savings accounts. That's it. So think about this. Those, those investments you just described have one thing in common. The price doesn't move. Mm -hmm. The value of that investment does not go up and down. That's considered low risk. Okay, if you're a low risk investor, you don't want your money to move up and down. You want some interest along the time. You're not going to be happy with the interest because it's low, but that is what the market is. That's the shock. The, the other side of that is if you're willing to take more risk, you have the opportunity to make more money. Not the guarantee, the opportunity, but you also have the opportunity to lose more money. Mm -hmm. Enter the bond investments, right? They're not doing well this year, but there's the opportunity. So what do you, what's the objective of the money again? Right. And we're getting calls. Yep. People are investing. I'm down 12, 13% of my bond portfolio, Faisal. What the heck? What should I do? Should I move my money to you? Because you guys aren't down that much. What's the purpose of the investment first? Well, and that adds to the conversation of if you're invested, but there's a lot of clients and individuals out there right now that are coming in with cash from real estate sales, yep. from other things yep. that is a bigger conversation. Where do I put my money right now? Yeah, so let's make up an example here. Um, you know, you sell your, your real estate property, you've got 500, a million bucks. Um, you're not comfortable with the way the markets are moving in, in either direction right now. <laughs> do I put all my chips in now? 
or do I call what's what we say decaf, dollar cost averaging, mm -hmm. right? Do I decaf my money, and let's say you you spread over six months, twelve yep. months. Is there a big difference? Should you take that half a million, million dollars that you have sitting in cash and mm -hmm. average it over six to 12 months? So there, there could be, but it's the optics on the short term alone, and that's it. Because what? if I said conversation over time, yeah. I said, if, if you remember this conversation that we have, when are we going to time into the market? And we have that conversation in five years, you probably won't remember the conversation. So it's, it's purely for optics. That's it. It's to make the, the investor feel better, that they're not putting all their chips in and all of a sudden it drops. Yeah. Because 10 years from now, you anticipate the portfolio, your investments to be higher. So does it matter exactly yeah. when you buy? Average annual rate of return will start to look very similar over time. Over time. So this is the, 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 the market timing issue is when do I put my chips in or my money in is it depends on the investment objective. If you've mm -hmm. got a long-term view of this money or you need it over the long-term, then any time's the best time, as long right. as you're in a, a well-managed well strategy. But if you're trying to use this to make a quick buck, so you're timing the market, mm -hmm. I, I, I would be cautious about that because then, then timing does matter, yeah. right? And when to get in, when to get out. But when you look over long-term, and we've done the research going back to 1935, if you dollar cost average over any six or 12 month period, and that's it, and then seeing what's happened over time, it's a coin flip. Sometimes you're higher, like half the time you're a little bit higher by one or 2% overall, or you're mm -hmm. one or 2% below. It's a coin flip, it's not that big of a difference. So why put yourself through all that anxiety? Whatever makes you feel better is the answer. What, what the, well, now the problem is what, what's the right decision? It all comes down to right. your feeling, not, not the math, yeah. right? So we've got a, we've got a great, uh, great uh, show we did today. Um, again, Rob, thank you for, for joining me. My pleasure. Um, some, some great insight, but also we're gonna have our upcoming seminar talk about some of these strategies to grow your portfolio or to protect in downside. We're gonna have that on May 24th. Especially during heightened volatility, which we're currently having. Join us Tuesday, May 24th, 7 p.m. This will be live online. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. On behalf of Rob Gary, myself, Faisal Carmali, thank you for joining us on More Than Money. You're listening to 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.